Welcome back to Equal Footing. I am Dove Tuzman. We are here in studio again with the wonderful, world-renowned scholar and teacher, Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Back by popular demand, we were talking last week about, we titled the show, is interesting, Rabbi Jacobson, and we send out, uh, sent out our, uh, our social media blast. We called it hypocritical ministry. What happens when rabbis transgress? And part of the reason we, we, called it that is to make it clear, I guess, subtly that transgressions by religious or spiritual authorities are certainly not specific to Judaism. They happen in, in all faiths and circumstances. But as always, I think one of the wonderful things about being a Jew is that we were healthily self-critical. <laughs> and and I think it's, it's uh, as we talked about last week, Rabbi Jacobson, always valuable to assess our actions, judge, if Certainly not judge others, but but be in a healthy way judgmental about ourselves and keep others accountable as well. Last week, we touched on some pretty difficult stuff. We talked about how it feels when people are rejected, in a sense, from their spiritual community, when they feel judged, sometimes, unfortunately, even by their own rabbi. That wasn't the theme of last week's program, but it is the theme of tonight to some degree as we decided to extend this series. So let me introduce Rabbi Simon Jacobson who's going to once again help us take on a difficult subject around the kind of ethics and the role of spiritual mentors and guides. And Rabbi Jacobson is well positioned to do so. I hope you don't mind, Rabbi, that in one of our conversations off air, you said you chose not to be a pulpit rabbi. I think in parts you could stand as an objective um, force, intellectual force in in our community, and I honor you for that. And the fact that as you challenged me ahead of the program, saying there's nothing you can ask me that I'm going to be if you come from a good place and you ask a question, it's a very tough question. I can take it. We can talk about it. Rabbi Jacobson is a pioneering speaker, educator. He's a mentor to, I would say. Hundreds of thousands. He's the author of the wonderful and best-selling book that I recommend to all listeners. I've read it more than once called Toward a Meaningful Life. It was originally published, I think, Rabbi, in the mid-90s, if I'm not mistaken. It has been republished since, sold over half a million copies. Rabbi Jacobson heads the Meaningful Life Center. The New York Times once called the Meaningful Life Center a spiritual Starbucks, bridging the secular and the spiritual so we sometimes aspire to do in this program through a wide variety of programming, live programming, online programming. And what I love about your work, Rabbi Jacobson, is that you present the teachings of Torah, of Humash, as a blueprint for for life of ethics and meaningfulness to people of all backgrounds, not just Jews. And I think that, you know, Leah and I, a wonderful producer, were talking earlier today on that subject as well, which I'd like to get out in tonight's program, how sometimes as we're shy for some reason as Jews to kind of shine the light, our light into the non-Jewish world. It's like we have, uh, of course, things to offer in the sciences and the humanities and philosophy, but in our religious wisdom dating back thousands of years, we have a part in the 
global dialogue around theology and faith. And you have a unique ability, Rabbi Jacobson, to offer clarity and direction, especially on difficult subjects. So let's dive right into it. Thanks for being here again. Thank you for having me. And I think, just a second, what you're saying, I want to make sure that we, that everybody who's listening knows there's no question that's taboo or off limits. This is based principally on the fact that God created us all. As a matter of fact, we're different. There's an expression in the Talmud that no two people think alike. Different personalities, just like different faces. So it's actually sacred and part of the human dignity to be able to be diverse and people have different opinions. I think it should be respectful and civil. And, you know, you have to also sometimes ask yourself, why are you asking a question? Is it coming from a healthy place? Is it coming from a from a, from a place to cover up your own uh, stuff? But no question is taboo. So know that with me, absolutely. It's the way I was trained, the way I understand Torah. It's like saying, just like you can ask any question to God, I think we should be able to ask every question. It doesn't mean we'll always have an adequate answer, but we definitely, I actually find if somebody doesn't allow another person to ask, even if it's a question that's uncomfortable, it's in a way an insult, an insult. You know, why should anyone have the right to silence someone else? Yeah. So I just want to make sure. I also want to add that today happens to be uh, the 17th of Tammuz, the beginning of the saddest period in the Jewish calendar, uh, where uh, the walls around Jerusalem were breached by the Babylonians and then later by the Romans, which would lead three weeks later to the destruction of the temple. Why am I mentioning it? Because I think, you know, this is a time that even on one hand, we do remember negative things, but it's also a time for introspection. Maimonides writes that the reason we fast is not just to remember, but to be introspective, to be soul-searching, that when something happens that's negative in your life, especially collectively, it would be, he actually calls it, it would be um, cruel and insensitive to ignore it and say, oh, it just happened. It's always a wake-up call to look deeper inside ourselves, not to point fingers, mm-hmm. inside ourselves to be introspective. What can we do to improve our ways? And it's not a blame game. We're not talking about building up guilt. It's just a matter of being conscientious and sensitive to events around us. So I think the topics that we're discussing last week and this is part of life, Jewish life, part of life, and it needs to be addressed with the intention, as we both know, is to improve things. It's not about finger-pointing. I'm not here to blame anyone. We're We're here to bring things out on the table, shine the light. Yeah. As they say, the half awareness is half the cure of every problem. Yeah. And, and last week we did talk about things that were difficult to get out on the table and shine a light upon. We talked about the, uh, occasional, thank God, but the, the, the circumstances in which there are people in, in religious authority, sometimes rabbis that have transgressed as it, as it relates to sexual abuse, physical abuse, financial, um, Impropriety, improprieties, and uh, and we had, I think, a healthy discussion, Rabbi, of, around the kind of mutual accountability that exists in our community between, like, no one's. You said, I hope I'm not misquoting. Really, no one's above the law. Absolutely. And we, there is a system. I didn't know this uh, the, around. Kind of accountability as well with the, with the rabbinate and you know a way to bring that up. People can listen to last week's show in the library or any of the major podcast platforms. And if you do have a concern, there there are 
means of recourse. And as a result of last week's program, Rabbi, there were, the, we, we ended up, I think, touching a nerve as well around the feeling of rejection that many people, um, that many people experience as it relates to their Jewish community, maybe the community they grew up with, maybe a community when they moved to, moved to a new place or a new neighborhood and become a part of. Rejection that can come from rabbis when it comes to people's sexual identity, when it comes to certain lifestyle choices, when it comes even to their level of observance around laws of kashrut or negia or observing Shabbos, etc. And I guess I want to start there, Rabbi. Um, at a basic level, we, you know, we cheekily called the show tonight, I'm, I'm a rabbi, not a therapist. <laughs> and we actually have a therapist here in the studio, uh, to not give away. In case lives. of emergency. Exactly. Who will tell us exactly what the role of a therapist is, but is the, what is the true role of a rabbi? Is, is there, is, is a rabbi, um, should there, is there a mandate to, to, move people to a greater level of religiosity or observance? Or is the mandate simply to accept them as they are? Or there are more options. <laughs> um, I also liked your uh, subtitle, Should Rabbis Accept You As You Are? Yeah. Or, as you're saying, should they just, should they, what should, what should drive them? So I'll be as blunt as I can about this. Let's make one thing clear here. Rabbis don't run the world. No human beings run the world. It's God that created this world. God, in his infinite wisdom, I don't even say his, we just use that as a term, but God, in infinite wisdom, created the human being in the divine image, gave us a Torah, which is a blueprint for life. Think of it, life's operator's manual. Rabbis, at their best, are people who have studied that Torah and have, through their humility, become living role models and examples that can help guide us, just like you need a tour guide. You have a roadmap, you have God, but sometimes that roadmap is not clear or confusing or we can't read the language. So a good rabbi, I like to always call a rabbi a soul doctor. I think a rabbi is a soul doctor. What does that mean? Someone who's an expert on the soul. And not through his own intelligence, because he studied. He has studied he understands, and I, I specifically use the word humility because it's not about someone's wisdom. We're not talking about someone who owns a company and has like a, some type of intellectual rights. As a matter of fact, the Torah was given in the wilderness to emphasize that it doesn't belong to anyone. It's God's given wisdom that is everyone's birthright. Now, with that little introduction, I'll say this. Therefore, what is a rabbi as best? A rabbi is respects every human being because God created them. No rabbi can say, hey, this person deserves less. So that when you read that title, I really want to focus on that. Should rabbis accept you as you are? We're talking about by birth, you were created by God. So immediately that means absolutely have to accept you as you are. Mm-hmm. Now, anyone that really loves another, if, you, if it's you love your children, you love your students, you love your spouse, you love your friend, so, yes, you accept them unconditionally because they're God's creation. But, of course, you want the best for them. You know, if you recommend someone, hey, read this book, you're not telling them, hey, I don't like who you are, and you'll read the book, now you'll become. 
you want to actualize that potential. Mm-hmm. So I would say a rabbi is not just an a, uh, objective bystander that just embraces you unconditionally. There's also another half to it. If you really love someone, you also want to help them grow. Mm-hmm. And obviously that has to be done respectfully. You know, like let's say somebody comes into a congregation, a synagogue, and they, they don't, I'll just technically say they're not observant right now, at least externally. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, who knows, unless they share, you know, so we don't know what's right. going on. And I don't think um, anyone does any background searches, and they shouldn't be doing, because synagogue is a house of God. It's not a country club. It's a house of God. Anyone wants to come in and say a prayer, it doesn't matter who it is. Absolutely. This is the, the, where should they go if not a synagogue? Mm-hmm. So it's not paid, you know, dues. So it's a house of God. A rabbi would embrace anyone that walks in. Now, depending on the individual, if they approach the rabbi and say, do you have classes? And the rabbi say, yes, we have classes in this topic and that topic. Mm-hmm. Should the rabbi go aggressively and say, hey, I want to know your whole life and I'm going to tell you how, what you should be like? Absolutely not. But I'll quote a statement from Hillel, the great sage. He says like this, be from the students of Aaron. Love everyone unconditionally. And he says, Love the creatures, meaning even if they have no other quality, mm-hmm. but merely the fact that they exist is already a reason to accept them for who they are. Torah means introduce them to Torah, introduce them to the beauty, to the inspiration of Torah, and help them grow as much as you can. But this is, but this, but I want to say this is not about judgment. It's not about um, placing people or categorize them. It's just really an act of love that I think every rabbi who's an authentic rabbi wants to help his constituents grow. It all sounds great, and so I far. hope that most listeners feel what you're describing from their rabbi most of the time, if not all of the time, God willing. But. Sometimes the the voices of the of the of the rabbinate conflict with that feeling. Let me let me give you an example and we're gonna have to take our first break in a moment, but I want to put this out and we can think about it over the, the quick break. Rabbi Shlomo Amar, who's the Sephardic chief rabbi of uh, Jerusalem, made a, a very um uh, talked about sermon a few years ago at the beginning of the pandemic, if I know in, in, in Ashdod. And he basically said that gay people cannot be religious, and they shouldn't pretend to be. Now, you 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 read that, and this is from a from a the Sephardic chief rabbi of Jerusalem. For those listeners that consider this, that feel they're both, they feel they're LGBTQ, and they feel like they're Jewish. Uh, and religious, you, and and they may feel the religious. We've had, in fact, we had a, a series of programs. I think it was uh, last year during Pride Month, if I remember, about the halacha of homosexuality, and we had people that were that were gay from from Orthodox community that that said on there, "I feel religious. I feel like I'm observant." And when you and we I don't dwell on this particular issue only, but it is an issue that came up with several. Listeners last week writing in and so forth. How do you, how do you reconcile that, Rabbi? How, how do you possibly feel you're being accepted when you have major authorities not only not making you feel welcome, but telling you you can't even be what you aspire to be? 
good question. And we'll, let's address it. You want to wait after the break? Let's or? wait after the break. <laughs> and I want to give out the numbers as well. Uh, thank you, Rabbi. <laughs> okay. You want to participate live? We are live. Uh, 718-303-9090 is the number to call in to ask Rabbi Simon Jacobson question on this topic of should your rabbi accept you as you are? It's a more complex question than it may first appear. Again, to participate live, 718-303-9090. If you want to text in a question, when you call in, by the way, you don't have to say your name. You can do it anonymously if you prefer. And you can also send in a text or WhatsApp question or comment with your name or anonymously, however you prefer. But that's a different number. It's 917-428-4062. Please don't call that number. That's for texting or WhatsApping. 917-428-4062. And we'll be right back. Well... Equal Footing has been brought to you by a relatively new sponsor over the last uh, couple of months. It's been a real pleasure to have uh, this association because this is a sponsor that I think through actions and offerings mirrors what we're trying to do to some extent on this program. And that is marry the real world with the spiritual world and get yourself out of the shadow of shame and judgment and into the light of inner work and exploration. What am I talking about here? I'm specifically talking about relationship work. This is for couples with a special attention on Jewish couples, so not exclusively. And it's the Lola and Bear What If Workshops. These are summer workshops that are done once or twice per month. You can go to lolaandbear.com. That's L-O-L-A-A-N-D-B-E-R.com. And that focus on deepening the relationship between partners sometimes that have been together for decades, rediscovering each other, navigating previous relationship drama, having, I said drama, (laughs) I meant trauma, but both, uh, navigating relationship drama and trauma, getting into a place where you can um, explore new areas of your relationship um, and uh, address even previous um, issues, whether it be infidelity, whether it be, um, kind of uh, attempts at reconciliation around other issues. There is a solution out there. These workshops are three days long. They're immersive, and they come with a variety of modalities, mindfulness work and also some spiritual introspection. Check it out. Again, that's L-O-L-A-A-N-D-B-E-R.com. And I think I've got the number here that I can share as well. Should have come better prepared as we have this uh, a new sponsor. And it is 848-305-9903. That's to get more information on the Lola and Bear What If Workshops. What if you could rediscover each other? What if your relationship could be more honest and exciting than you ever thought possible? 848-305-9903. Rabbi, we're talking about whether your, your rabbi should accept you as you are. Uh, we put out a difficult question on the table right before the break, and I want to get help here from the 
psychotherapist here in studio that we uh, teased about uh, earlier because we also titled the program, uh, I am a rabbi, not a therapist. And sometimes, as you've said in the past in, in, in private discussion, people expect their rabbis to be therapists. And our producer, Leah Masniku, is also a uh, therapist. She's a French and U.S. trained clinical psychologist. Uh, she works with uh, relationship issues, PTSD, anxiety, etc. And Leah, help us out. I asked you to come into studio. What are the general rules of the ro- of the road for a therapist, so we can differentiate that from what it is, what the role of a rabbi is? Can I interject? You asked a provocative question. Don't you think I should answer it? I do, but I want to highlight how a therapist would answer that. Well, that's not fair because you brought a rabbi. <laughs> I quoted a rabbi. You asked it up to me. Okay, let's do it your so way. So I think let let's me let right. me answer and then we can get a therapist. Not this all respect to Leah. Yeah, because that's a question I think people are waiting for me to answer. So to restate the question, it's I. Refer- I heard it loud and clear <laughs> for the audience who may not have been listening before the break. Go ahead. Just that you have LGBTQ members of the community that feel like they're not welcome and they are judged by the rabbis when you have rabbinical authorities saying so. I quoted. One that uh, Sephardic chief um, rabbi of Jerusalem that said gay people cannot be religious and shouldn't pretend to be. Okay, so first of all, as you can imagine, I can't speak for Rabbi Amar. Um, you'd have to ask him that question. I will say, from my perspective, I mean, I would ask the question this way: If somebody does not, for whatever reason, keep Shabbat or doesn't eat kosher, or they uh, they keep all the mitzvot, but they happen to cheat the government in taxes mm-hmm. or some other financial things. Would he say the same thing, that they can't call themselves religious for the same reason? Because basically I'm assuming he's saying that since they transgress a certain law in the Torah, how could you call them religious? But then you have to use that across the board with every human being on earth because there's no one that hasn't sinned or transgressed. So I can't... And I don't know whether this, you know, the context of what he said. I don't know if he was asked, wait, I'm posing it now, whether he would have a different approach. So let's not talk about him. That's why I began my introduction to state, as I see the Torah says it. You can have many people out there say many different things. Each of them is going to have to stand up and defend their own positions. I'm not here to protect other people and so on. So from my point of view, there are 613 laws in the Torah with many subsets, the Torah expects very high expectations of the human being. Not everybody lives up to those expectations. I don't think it's our job to call anyone by name religious or not religious. It's not, no one appointed us to do that. And a, a rabbi, a rabbi, when someone comes to that rabbi, whether that person is transgressing one law or another, according to the rabbi, mm-hmm. according to the Torah, that's not the position of the rabbi to uh, to put them. It's not a court of law here. The rabbi has to embrace every person because it's a human being, mm-hmm. a Jew, and help them in any possible way. But and I don't think there's room for judgment or name calling or rejection. Frankly, now, but rabbi, you could ask the question: If somebody was a murderer and they walked in and they're known to be a murderer and they're a danger to other people, then we can talk about protecting others and so on. But I'm sure there are listeners, and Leah, thanks for continuing to be patient here. Uh, I'm sure there are listeners that that are thinking about um, judgment and the fact that it seems there is some instruction in our sacred texts 
that there is an appropriate time to judge. I mean, Levit- Leviticus 19.15, judge your fellow righteously. And I know Talmudically that's been, tra- that's been interpreted in different ways, but there certainly are references to the inappropriate time to judge. So here, let me, now, I think at this point, let Leah interject and I'll answer that question afterwards because you're moving out to another topic and I think now is a good time. I mean, I'm not trying well, to run it, your it show. It actually ended up being great because I, I, Leah, is a therapist's role ever to judge? What, what are the guidelines of being a therapist? So a therapist, so hello everyone. <laughs> uh, a therapist's role is to do exactly what I'm doing. I'm listening and I'm chiming in when asked or when, uh, and uh, seek advice. Uh, therapist's role is to be impartial or to try or aspire to be impartial uh, in any given situation. Of course, we, we have we all have our biases, which we cannot deny. Um, but yeah, it's it's to be impartial uh, in any given situation and help the person seeking help or seeking therapy uh, navigate their journey. Now, quickly, is that true in all modalities of therapy or like a particular school? Pardon my ignorance. So my school is clinical, um, uh, and I cannot answer for all other schools, but I would have to say it's a general view that's held that therapists should be impartial. So Perfect. So then I would add to that that a rabbi has an additional responsibility. In addition to listening closely, and trying to help someone and not impose upon that person the rabbi's standards, a rabbi being educated and knowledgeable in so-called the morality and ethical laws of Torah has an additional role to be a teacher. A therapist doesn't have to be a teacher. Right. A ther- They're not supposed to be, right. I understand. And a rabbi should be a teacher. Now, if someone says, Rabbi, I don't want you to teach me, right. obviously we're not talking about imposing. Yeah. But a rabbi should try to uh, inspire teach, educate, motivate. But I don't see motivating and judgment in the same uh, spirit. It's two very, two different things. So I've heard this before. I heard it from you, like you know, that you joked, I'm a rabbi, not a therapist. When you hear this, is is the gist of that when it comes to relationship with someone in a congregation that you actually are there to give instruction. You're there to set someone on the right path. You're not just there to listen. I think a rabbi is a somewhat of a therapist, frankly. Okay. It doesn't mean there isn't room for another therapist. In other words, a rabbi should be sensitive to human condition yeah. and to emotional issues. You know, if somebody comes to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, I just heard your sermon, beautiful sermon. I have an issue with my child. My child and I are having fights. Mm-hmm. I don't think a rabbi should simply say, okay, only come to me and let me know if the chicken is kosher or when Shabbos begins. The rabbi should be sensitive, should be trained to be able to respond. Now, if the issues become deeper issues, and the rabbi feels I'm not equipped, so then it would be the equivalent, I suggest go to a professional therapist. So I think a rabbi should work hand in hand when it's needed. But a rabbi should be have emotional intelligence, and should have uh, definitely enough to say. Now, some rabbis I know I really are, actually, are excellent therapists. I appreciate you saying that. I have always felt that there's a, there is a, a collaborative relationship as someone who's been in therapy for many years and also I feel as a close Because a rabbi is also a spiritual is, mentor. He's a spiritual yeah. mentor. Spiritual mentor is a very thin line, you know. So, so of course there are differences, but a good rabbi would be a great therapist. And now obviously I, 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 I know some rabbis that are excellent therapists, but there are specialties, you know, let's say. We've had a number on the program who are both trained therapists right. and rabbis. And there are people, sometimes the situation a rabbi feels this is over my head. 
We need a yeah. bigger professional. Leah, do you like. think do you think great therapists make good rabbis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, emotional intelligence is key to forming human like strong human connections and relationships. So, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of synchronicity between the two vocations. R- Rabbi, I'm going to ask you another tough question before we take our break. You're, you're pointing a figure. No, no, because you, no, you said about judgment. I want to just throw this in. I think it's important. I know the controversies around these issues. I know the perceptions out there. And I know they're rabbis, frankly. And I don't want to make, I don't want to have listeners feel that you're running away from the question. I, I really. Yeah, but, but I want listeners to know that I'm not necessarily the rabbis they had bad experiences with. Right, right. That's the point also as well. So I'm not running away. I'm describing as I see projection, it. right, Leah? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to describe it as I see it from a Torah point of view. Right. And if a rabbi doesn't fit what I'm describing, let that rabbi explain themselves. But I'm not coming from my own opinion. You know, when you quoted before, judge them righteously. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, judge and righteous, what does that mean? In other words, don't judge them just to judge. The statement is that when a rabbi sits in judgment, we're talking about a court of law where you're coming to, let's say, litigants are coming and they're arguing about a partnership of theirs. Or someone says, "My, you're... you're uh, Property has infringed on my property, so that that's called what we call a court of law. Right. And we talked a little bit about, the last, about that last week. Yeah, but that's very different. That's, that's a different not a judging the person who's coming in. As a matter of fact, the judge there can't even. That's like an arbitration process, right? Exactly. So I think that we need to distinguish between. But what you're talking about, the, the, let's call it the soul doctor, soul mentor, the leader that a, a rabbi should be, is not. Look at look at Moses. Even when Korah, we spoke about Korah, rebelled, yeah. he didn't judge him. He didn't say, what, the, what kind of guy are you? You don't belong in my congregation, you know. And, and I do want to acknowledge uh, one of our, our regular listeners, uh, Shlomi from Muncie, who, 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 who says, who points out that Rabbi Nachman's, we had this in our show notes as well, um, translation or interpretation of that Leviticus line is that you should judge your fellow favorably. Um, so there's, there's different ways to look at it. Rabbi, I love giving you real tough questions before the break. Uh, gets but you have thinking. to let me after the break respond. <laughs> Give me equal time. No, I'm trying to equal trap footing. You. Come on. Equal footing, equal time. Fair point. Uh, it's come up on this program before that, in a certain sense, I don't want to. I don't know if we call it a disadvantage or an area of um, of of wistfulness, at least that as Jews we sometimes don't feel the level of acceptance that seems to be um, in intrinsic to the ministry in other Abrahamic faiths. So that in Christianity, for example, we've had some interface shows with this, there's this fundamental precept of the minister of the priest being like the confessional and the total acceptance. It's like unconditional love dynamic. And I don't know whether it's true. I'm asking you the question. But it, I know I feel, and I know some listeners over over time have expressed the feeling that we don't get that from our rabbis. We don't get that unconditional love that you get in Christianity, perhaps in Islam as well, from the the the, the spiritual teachers, the religious authorities there. So that's the question to you for after the break: Is that true? Why do we feel that way? And we'll be right right back with Rabbi Simon Jacobson here on Equal Footing, talking about judgment from your rabbi. Should your rabbi accept you just as you are? We'll be right back.
Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Back on equal footing, Rabbi, why does it seem like as Jews we don't get that unconditional love from our ministerial uh, roles as it seems like our Christian friends get? Okay. You hear me? Good. Okay. Um, Frankly, I'm not that intimately familiar with what's going on in the Christian or the Muslim clergy and their relationships. I do know that they may be giving unconditional love to their own, but they haven't always given unconditional love to the Jewish people. So I question the unconditional love going on there, to be honest. I'm sure there's some wonderful leaders and so on. From a, Frankly, the concept of unconditional love comes straight from the Torah. The Torah says that. The Torah says, love your fellow like yourself. Right. Rabbi Akiva, the greatest sage of all, says this is the fundamental principle of Torah. Everything else is a footnote. This is not some uh, modern thing. This goes back thousands of years. So frankly, I am actually uh, extremely uh, disturbed when I see anyone feeling or behaving in a way that is not unconditional love. We mentioned before today the 17th of Thomas. The temple was destroyed. God said, you know, I can't be with you if my children are fighting with each other, if you don't love each other unconditionally. So I think, as a, I'll speak now as more of a sociologist, psychologist style, mm-hmm. I think what has happened is what often happens is that when an, a religion becomes somewhat bureaucratic and political, so you start creating the us and thems, so the judgment began to settle in, and unconditional love was somewhat uh, diluted or compromised. Now are you talking about Judaism? Yeah, 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 yeah. And there are people who saw religion becoming us versus them. You don't belong in this synagogue. You don't belong with us. You're not on our standard. And I think this really antithetical in every possible way, and I'm saying it right now, I think today is a very good day to say it, Mm -hmm. because that's why the temple was destroyed. Now, unconditional love should not be... Because of judgmentalness. Judgmentalism and lack of unconditional love. Uh So not only a rabbi, everybody is subject to loving every human being. You know why? Because God created these people. And God says, if you love me, love those that I love. Who do I love? My children. So, Mm -hmm. but I think this is the confusion. People think that unconditional love means that I unconditionally agree with everything you do. Mm-hmm. Look, you can have unconditional love with a criminal who's sitting in prison, mm-hmm. justifiably so. Mm-hmm. You still can have unconditional love to his soul, but he's become a danger to others. So I don't see that as a contradiction. 
Why? Because the fact is, it's actually part of love. I would say, though, to some extent, Rabbi, with all due respect, that's a bit of a straw man. Because I think what 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 a what a Christian philosopher might say around that is, wait a minute, we're, we're talking about whether something's des- somebody's deserving. We wouldn't talk about restorative justice either. The question on the table is, do you express unconditional love as a rabbi? Is that what you should feel for a congregant, or is it not what you should feel? Is your job as a rabbi to judge to some degree or is it not to judge as i said before i don't need a christian to remind me of this because they took it from the jews right so i don't want to hear this from you know somebody being preached to by christians let me make that clear as far as the answer absolutely unconditional love is the principle i'm I'm explaining it again every human being is created in the divine image that is enough reason to give unconditional love to every person period but that doesn't mean that i i love my siblings doesn't mean i agree with them about everything since when do you have to agree you're with talking someone about the role of a sibling? But you're not. Are you acting? Or the same thing with a rabbi? A rabbi, they, yeah, a rabbi can, can he can have congregants that he unconditionally loves and doesn't necessarily agree with everything they do. But on that second part of the sentence, does that mean you're unconditionally, as a rabbi, are you unconditionally loving and judging? No, there's no judgment at all. No judgment. No judgment. Okay. One second. I, I I I need to understand this. What you're pushing here. I'm not well, pushing him. No, no, no. What I'm, I'm saying to do is put myself in the shoes of listeners who feel. Do you feel? One second. If I love you unconditionally, and then I see you do something, Dove, that I think is inappropriate, mm-hmm. and I come over and I say to you, Dove, I really love you deeply, but I think you did something that maybe deserves an apology or maybe something. Would yeah. you say that makes my love no longer unconditional? No. In fact, that's part of loving. Is so there you go. That's what I'm talking breach. about. But I th- now. If you come across, not, if you feel that I'm coming across really judgmental, let, let me let me put it a different way. And this is this is great, by the way. Thank you for uh, engaging in the in the in the back and forth. I want to go back to that that example of the LGBTQ person who feels. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to ask the same question again. Uh, who feels unwelcome? Um, or and I'm going to add to it, say someone who a woman who wants to be a rabbi and it's and it's not uh not not allowed to be in a in a in a in a certain expression of Judaism. Some of some of those people and situated in it as such feel more love and acceptance from say conservative or reform or reconstructionist versions of Judaism and don't feel that that love and acceptance or, or don't at least not they may not feel it, it may be being given but they're not feeling it in the orthodox expressions of of judaism so what my, is, what is my, that, my response what is very straightforward you're using particular examples but i'm going to use other examples because i want to make this very glaring okay mm-hmm. um if you have certain standards you dove or i and um you invite someone to your home, and they refuse to subject themselves to the, the rules of the game that you have at your table right now. And you love them unconditionally, but they're very disruptive. Mm-hmm. What would you do? Um, no, I'm, it's a rhetorical question. Um, you have to remember this. If a rabbi believes that this is the standard of the Torah, and someone's coming to him and saying, I need you to accept me unconditionally and accept that I have a different interpretation of what the standard of the Torah is. That's how I would rephrase your question. 
What should the rabbi do then? Where a person is saying, the rabbi says, listen, the Torah advocates, at least we'll call the orthodox interpretation of halacha, mm-hmm. advocates that only men should be rabbis, not women. That's my. That's what the Torah says. It's not about me. That's how I understand the Torah. You may not accept it. You want to be a rabbi. But that's the standard I've committed to. That's the vow I've taken. That would be like going to a Supreme Court justice and saying, hey, I I don't want you to accept my freedom. Of, I, I want you to um, uh, uh, not accept freedom of speech. He says, that's not up to me. That's what it says in the Constitution. So what you're dealing here is a confrontation that I love you unconditionally, but you're asking me, that I have to, in other words, embrace you in an area where my standard is not, that doesn't accept that standard. So so how do you deal with that? Is that a fair way of rephrasing the question? Yeah, it's that, that, however, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but let's stand at least at the edge of it. It brings up the question of interpretation of halacha more generally and the fact that we don't have a Sanhedrin. We've talked about this in this program before. And... Which which allows for there to be kind of an ossified or non-changing interpretation. Yeah, but this is not a question of unconditional love. This is already a question of who determines what halacha is. Well, hang on. You use the example of the Supreme Court. Um, that would be that would be like saying, wait a minute. This isn't this isn't a question of whether you know slavery uh, is is hurtful. It's a question of whether this court is judged on slavery. In other words, like the two are intrinsically linked. I mean, we we have to rely upon our religious authorities to make. To make decisions that are com- that are compassionate and that acknowledge um, these well, issues around. Well, 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 with all respect, the Torah authority, halachic authority, you want to call it orthodox, call it orthodox, will respond as follows: These are the laws that have been followed this way thousands of years. You're saying that we have to maybe uh, think of other ways of interpreting it, and if I don't think of it that way, you're going to question my love for you. I hope that's not what I was saying. What I what I meant was more someone situated in feeling rejected or feeling judged by their a particular rabbi or a group of rabbis. Uh, ha- but you gave an example: a person, let's say, a woman who want, who's a rabbi, a woman rabbi, woman, and she's accepted and embraced in the conservative and reform community, but the orthodox reject her. Right. Okay. So while the, you you keep referring in the program, which I appreciate and agree with, by the way, that there are different. This is, it's not about unconditional love. It's about different interpretations of halacha. And so my point was the interpretive process itself can either be compassionate and loving or, or, or not. Compassionate and loving does not necessarily mean that you compromise things that you consider are fundamental. Do you agree? Or does compassion override the law? That's an that's an age old com, uh, complex question. I think over time, what the well, that's why I would prefer not to use the loaded examples. Okay, let's use the example of someone who says, due to my economic situation, I have to work on Shabbos. So, that's and, a good example. Okay, the rabbi says you're welcome here to come to the synagogue. Do what you got to do. I, however, can't endorse it. But I'm not in any way consider, I'm not judging you. I'm not considering you less, less of a citizen. But if the guy says no, but I want you to come and consider a way to create a loophole for me, because there are many people today that can't keep Shabbos, and if you don't do that, then I consider that you're not unconditionally loving me. You mm-hmm. see the distinction? Yes. So when it comes to women rabbis or LBGTQ, I think those are so. Um, 
There's such hot buttons, much harder to address, frankly, because I think there's a lot of emotion involved, mm-hmm. and people feel totally invalidated. I don't think someone who doesn't keep Shabbos feels invalidated about it. I, but there, it's so much intrinsically connected to identity and personal spiritual values. I, un- I understand the sensitivity needed. Yeah. You know, if you asked me, what would I do if a woman rabbi comes to my class? What would, how would I treat that person? Why don't you ask me that? I don't care. I, other rabbis, that's their business. Now, I will tell you, I have, I have maybe thousands of, of, of women rabbis who actually uh, embrace my teachings and see me as their teacher. Yeah. Why? Because they don't see me judgmental. They see me, and they may even hear me say something that the Torah halacha, maybe a, a woman shouldn't be a rabbi. But they don't take it personally because they feel that I'm coming from a kind, compassionate place. And we all know that. Which, which everyone, myself included, loves and respects about you, Rabbi. I, I, I love that you brought up... Now, I wish all rabbis validation. had that attitude. You, I, I think there's some common ground here. We, again, we, one of our titles for tonight's program was, I'm not a rabbi, or sorry, I am, I'm a rabbi, not a therapist. And I think an area of common ground between those two is, uh, it, those fields is the kind of view that validation from an external source, an external human source, another person, whether it's a rabbi, whether it's a sibling, whether it's a therapist, is intrinsically problematic. You shouldn't look for validation outside. We've talked about this, Leah. Does it, what's the view therapeutically on looking outside for validation? It implies a sense of insecurity in your identity, but at the same time, it's all part of the human experience that we all require validation of some sort because we want to feel like we belong, like we're not wrong, like our ideas, our thoughts, our desires are like matter. And it, it is an intrinsic part of the human experience. But when you seek external validation or when you look to others to validate your experience, you're not doing justice by yourself because other people have different standards and then you feel judged by some other people's standards that do not comply with yours. So a therapist's role is to help you understand that it all comes from within. Now, I'm not saying there's no moral code or ethical code to to follow in society, but it must come from within. Rabbi, do you agree is it okay to look for your rabbi to your rabbi for validation, or you should you take that therapeutic uh, ethos of of not looking outside of yourself for validation? Well, I totally agree with what Leah said. Leah said because I know it from my own experience. Um, I would love to teach people that come my way to build their own inner confidence that they shouldn't need my validation or anyone else's. But it is human nature. Yeah. From as children, we look to our parents. Um, like for acceptance, for validation, do you, is, what I did was good. Do you ever see how children look at their parents? You know, they, so it's a human nature thing. I think what we want to teach our children is, okay, when you're two years old, you're two years old, but when you're 15 or 20, 30, we're here to teach you not what to think, but how to think. We're here to teach you to empower you to be able to use your discretion and not just base your decisions based on the validation of some hero or some rabbi or therapist or anyone. But I think you have to balance the two because people will come for validation. What I will do is I'll understand that, I'll appreciate it, but I will slowly try to guide them toward building their own inner confidence. And I do think it's a very good point here because I think many of the 
the, the case studies you described and others is a lot about that. The rabbi is not validating me. Yeah. Therefore, so I would say to that person, just remember this. Is validating you as a human being, that doesn't mean validating us so your job, right. you know. And you, is, is, I, I have a title of a talk I give, is your self-worth defined by your net worth? You know, we have to start defining ourselves from our soul from within, yeah. not based on what we do and whether others like what we do. You have to be trust your own song. But I do think that rabbis are in that position, and they need to know that, that people come to them for the validation, and they need to be sensitive yeah. with the goal of trying to teach people, hey, you know what, I'm here to empower you. Don't look at me, you know, as I'm not, I'm not the only source of your uh, self-confidence. Yeah, and it, it's not a, a, a universal solution, but I do think that if you can get into a spiritual space of not looking to your rabbi or your therapist or your friends for validation, but rather as a source of comfort, compassion, love, then some of these questions kind of melt away. Then it doesn't, then you're not worried about whether they agree, if that's your point of view, uh, with a particular lifestyle choice. They're loving you. They're teaching you if you seek out that teaching. But it's not a codependent relationship. Exactly. And I'll put it this way. I will, I've told this to countless people. I said, I validate that you were created by God, that you were created in the divine image. I validate that you have a unique soul and an indispensable contribution to make that you and only you can make. Mm. And you don't need to be, do, do what I'm doing. You have to own and figure out what your destiny is. I'm here to help you find yourself. I'm, he I'm here to help you help yourself, not for you to become a clone of me. That's an important thing, creating independent, a student that can become a teacher. You know, there's an expression that you should be a flame that rises on your own. Can I share a, a, a short anecdote? We have to take a, can we do it after the break? Sure, okay. sure. Okay. That was that's a beautiful point and I think helps address some of the more, um, some of the thornier issues that have that have come up. We'll be right back on Equal Footing with Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Such a beautiful song. E Equal Footing has been brought to you for some time by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers one to two day financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. Unlock the cash value of your watch collection or your watch inventory. If you're a dealer through max buyback contracts, it's super easy. You can literally get money overnight. Go to your smartphone app store on Android or Apple devices and put in mechanical art. Capital, three words, mechanical art capital. And you can have your watches and collection of your watch collection, your watch inventory appraised free of charge just by uploading some photos. The app will also show you how to raise cash from the watches that you just had appraised. You can also call mechanical art capital at 833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972. I've been caught Back to you, Rabbi. Okay, anecdote time, right? It's really a story that I think captures a very important point. I remember years ago in my class, so I had many people from the arts and entertainment industry, and there was a stand-up comic. That was his, uh, he made a living. The clubs, which were usually weekends, comedy. He started coming to my classes every week, every week, 
And then one day he comes to me and says, I need your advice. I've been starting to go to Friday night dinners, and I really love Shabbos. I never did Shabbos, and I'm really thinking I want to start keeping Shabbos. But what's my dilemma? All my bookings are Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. Mm-hmm. You know, so in the winter months, okay, uh, the summer, the Shabbos ends late, but it's always going to be an issue. Um, and I don't know what to do. What do you advise? So I said to him, as usually a, a Talmudic style, I said, there are three types of answers I can give you. I can tell you, hey, God said keep Shabbos. God blesses one with livelihood. Keep Shabbos and God will provide. And it'll all work out. It'll all work out. And just go by faith. I could tell you, hey, you know what? There are some rabbis may tell you, we'll find a loophole, certain mics you can use, you'll walk to the, the venue, whatever. That's not, I'm not going to tell you either of those two. I'm going to give you the third, and that is, you're an adult. I don't know the rest of your life. I don't know the whole context. I can teach you what Shabbos is, the beauty of it. But you as an adult are going to have to make this decision and bear the consequences. What that means is, Yes, you may. So he says, why don't you tell me number one? So I said, very simple, because I may tell you keep Shabbos out of faith. A few months pass, and maybe you're not working it out, and suddenly your economic situation is becoming difficult, and you get angry at Shabbos, at God, because God didn't uh, reciprocate. And he wasn't happy with my answer, because I was... I put it you back put it on back him. To him. But I said, but I'm, I'm, I'll support whatever Sounds you... Sounds like a therapist. Yeah, I'll, I'll support, and I'm, I'll be happy to teach you about Shabbos yeah. to make it compelling. Mm-hmm. But you have to make the decision. Because the fact is, you know, he may love Shabbos, but he may be doing a thousand other things that are not consistent. Not in, out of judgment. I just didn't know his whole life. So he decided to just drop it all, keep Shabbos. And what happened? A few months passed, and he didn't have an alternative, and suddenly his uh, wallet started pinching him. And he got angry. He got angry. Son, saying that against, did he get angry with you? No, because I never gave. Yeah, right. He didn't get angry with me. He, as a matter of fact, thanked me years later, because what happened was he got angry at God, got angry at Shabbos, got angry at all the religion, and it took around two years until he owned it. Mm-hmm. And once he owned it, then he found alternatives. So today's a Shomer Shabbos, and he found ways to get gigs in the middle of the week, you know. But he had to feel it's his. And he thanked me later because he didn't understand what I was doing. What I was doing was empowering him. wasn't judging him. I definitely was not trying to persuade him and impose anything. I wanted to empower him. Learn about Shabbos and understand that when you have a relationship with God, it may not always work exactly as you uh, figure out. It's not like you press a button and, every, you know, because sometimes God responds in different ways. Rabbi, I love it when you tell anecdotes because it brings it, it brings it back to individual experience. And I want to get to at least one listener's question on this. In, in your social media blast that you sent out to, uh, to the folks that are listening to your teachings and benefiting from them, one of the sub questions on tonight's topic, which is the overall topic being should rabbis accept you as you are, was what should rabbis do when someone seeking advice is truly off the path, off the derrick, as they say in, in, in their view. Now, that's been one of the questions we've been kind of get to in this, in this program. And in their view, you added in their view. Well, that was from your blast in. Yeah. Yeah. So in meaning they're referring to the, the rabbi. The rabbi feels that that person is off the path, so right. to speak. Um, so David in Brooklyn writes, uh, that the problem is if we don't give rabbis some room for judgment, some room for concrete guidance and proactivity, we actually don't at the same time give room for bringing people back onto a path, a path of righteousness, a path of goodness, a path of a, path of a tranquil life, whatever it may be. 
So David goes on. But the point here is interesting. Like, if you don't give room for that kind of proactive judgment saying, hey, you're on the wrong track, then how do rabbis kind of really, are you, are you taking away a fundamental tool for getting people back on the right track? Well, I, I don't think the word judgment has to be in that sentence. I'm not sure where the jump is into judgment. We discussed earlier, if I love someone dearly, I'm going to try to inspire them and motivate them to live up to the highest standards possible. When a coach, a tennis coach, is pushing his, his client, his the player, to go beyond his limits, and the player says, stop pushing me, you're making me crazy. The coach is not judging him. The coach is, is trying to get the best out of him. Well, so I think we got to get rid of the word judgment because well, let me, let me play no, one play, no, no one uh, appointed us to be a judge of anyone. Let me, pay, let me play devil's advocacy on that for a second. We're coming up on end of time. I wish we could have David write in the clarification. But let's assume that what he's saying is you, he's saying in a sense that we want at times a rabbi to pull you back from the brink and actually practically reach out and say, you're doing something wrong. But what's wrong? Why is that called judgment? Why is that not called, I love you, and I'm, and I have, these are the standards. I'm reminding you of what you can be. That's fair. I wouldn't call it judgment. I think judgment is a very bad word here because judgment right away is the invalidating. So I have a fun way to end. Yes. I have a fun way to end. I don't know if you've ever been asked this before because we now are at the end. We just, we just have, you know, a minute and a half left. Can you actually advise rabbis who are listening? <laughs> because I'll tell you, I've been on, I've been on the brunt of feeling judged by a rabbi it's happened more, on more than one occasion i think in a certain sense i you know i went into a shell i deserved it i'm an awful person and other times i was like oh my gosh i don't know i don't now i don't feel safe with this person so i love that you i, I truly love looking you in the eyes i love that you distinguish between judgment and reaching forward and helping can you give some final advice here quickly to rabbis listening as to how to walk this line better now you're opening up a Pandora's box because I don't know if rabbis like advice, but 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 regardless, here's what I'll say. It's not about me giving advice to rabbis. I would advise us all to open up the Torah and understand there's one God, and He didn't give us the power to be judges over anyone. He gave us the power of knowledge, the power of information, standards, values, and that you respect every one of your constituents and even not constituents, even strangers. With tremendous oyves habriyes, you love everyone unconditionally. Mm. And because of the love, they have to feel that when you expect something more from them, it's coming out of love, not from judgment and not invalidation, and not that you need people to be like you, which is a big, big problem. Many people see rabbis as insecure. You need to be like me. Yeah. One more quick point I want to make is that... I love that. It's true. When you say... You, you subtly, you don't have to say it out loud, but if you kind of subtly tell someone, be like me, you're, you're right. That often is coming from your own insecurity, and it's also not a good teaching method. Right. And I think it's it's vital that um, that every rabbi knows, and I include myself and all of us, understand that we are humble servants. We're humble servants. We have to make sure we don't have any tinge of ego or arrogance or prejudices or biases, because that's what we need to be battling. And we need to help people get beyond that to find their pure soul. Amen. Rifki from Borough Park, you've been on the, the board for a long time. Please call in next week. We're out of time. Uh, Rabbi Jacobson, thank you. It's always a pleasure and a great learning experience. My pleasure and honor. Thank you. Say yes. I say no. You say stop.